0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Yeah, so we, we're very excited about this uh, the series and the season because we've been seeking the Lord's face um, about us as a church. God, which what are you wanting us to pursue? What is your vision for us as a church? You know, and, uh, and, you know, many churches would pursue, say, okay, the mission is to, have a, to get a certain number of people in church. And we really felt the Lord say to us, that's not the vision. The vision isn't quantity, the vision is quality. The mission is quality. We want uh, the type of people, the type of person we, God wants us to produce, that's the key. And so we felt the Lord lay on our hearts to focus on developing leaders, that's why we're doing the series on Sundays for the next, what, six weeks or so, we're going to be talking about leading from the throne room, okay, because we believe that the Lord's going to raise up leaders, so end of last year, October last year, I I attended this global leadership summit that Bill Heibel's Church um, presents, so like 400,000 people across the globe that attends it, it's absolutely brilliant, every October they, they present it here in East London I really want to encourage you to join us. So I had this certain idea, you know, I was like, oh, you know, by the time it was time to go to the two-day summit a Friday and a Saturday, I was like, I'm tired, I haven't had a rest, it's been crazy few weeks or months or six months and I was like, oh, actually I'm just going to go maybe for a few sessions yeah, you know, get some knowledge, you know, it's probably going to not be not that engaging. It's not really going to speak to me. It's not going to be by the Holy Spirit, you know, it's just going to be some knowledge, some so info session type of vibe. So that was that was my expectation. And then I went there and it was like, "Oh my word, this is anointed." There was such an anointing. What I mean, is that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. I was like, "God was all over me, speaking to me, challenging me." Uh, I was so confronted with this fact that I need to grow as a leader for the sake of everybody around me. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. Every, everybody wins around you when you get better. And, and I realized, I mean, some of the people that were speaking are not Christian. They're not even believers and it was anointed. It was like, What? But the the point being is, and this is what Bill Hybels was, was, was speaking about, he has an anointing on his life to raise up leaders. It just like unlocks you, stirs your faith. And I believe in the same way there's an anointing to cause people to stand up, to become who God has called them to be. And so that's what we're trusting the Lord for, that you would be stirred in your heart to become a better you. So John Maxwell says, everything rises or falls on leadership. Everything rises or falls on leadership. And it's true. Think about any environment. If it's a bit of a stuff up environment, or it's not a great environment, or it's, you know, you can normally take it back to, well, who are the lead, who's the leader, who's the leadership team? In the end, it comes down to that. Um, We can talk about great leaders like Nelson Mandela, and we can see the impact on our country. Everything rises on great leadership. He united us as a country. He brought a hope to our land. And then we have, unfortunately, over the last 10 years or so, a different leader. What's the result? The country's going down. Hallelujah, Cyril Ramaphosa. Come, Boyki. Come bring some godliness to the game. Sort out that corruption. But one man that follows God can change a nation. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You can take it to a home as well. You can go walk into a home and you can ask the question, well, who are the leaders, his dad and his mom? And, 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 and how's the environment? Well, mom and dad will determine the environment. It's in every area. It is just how it is. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And so many of us find ourselves complaining or negative, but in the end, about our environments. But if leaders would rise up, we can change our environment, even if you're not the top dog. Just ask Daniel, in the book of Daniel. He influenced a whole empire. He wasn't the number one. He was number three or something. But he was a godly man who could influence the leadership and a nation, well, a whole empire w- was impacted. But uh, a strong leaders needs, need to rise up. So that's what God, I believe, wants to do in us. He wants you and me to realize who we really are and what we can achieve in God. Leaders are not born, they are bred. They are bred. And they need to discover who they are in Christ. Okay, so question. Who is the greatest leader When the pastor asks you a question, a good option is to shout, Jesus. (laughs) Okay? Jesus was the greatest leader this world has ever seen. Why? Because in three years, he took nobodies. Three years. Took a bunch of nobodies and transformed them into world changers, and then he left. Who on earth has ever achieved anything like that? No one. It will take 20 years, 30 years, 40 years for someone to build an organization. But Jesus, in three years, raised up these men and changed the world through them. Handed everything over to them said, guys, here you go, do it. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So, which is the best book to read about leadership? Sun Tzu, The Art of War. A Chinese classic. No, no, no. <laughs> Fascinating story. It's a, a book. It speaks about how to do warfare, and it says things like, you know, when uh, when when you, when you are near, you need to seem far, <laughs> so you can you can f- c- catch the guys out. Oh, it's all about these tricks of the trade of deceiving the enemy, the, your, your your enemy, to take them apart. So anyway. Interesting book. It's actually uses a leadership, business leadership book. But I was, after the the Global Leadership Summit, I was reading book upon book upon book on leadership, and the Holy Spirit actually just rebuked me and said, best book to read is your Bible (laughs) about leadership. It is, it's it's a raw, honest book about people's faults and their weaknesses and their things. And we see it, you know, so... The Lord, I mean, obviously, read books about leadership, listen to podcasts, because I do. I've been, I've been consuming uh, leadership material, and I just realized I know so little. <laughs> we think we know, we know squat, <laughs> you know. When you actually start exposing yourself to, 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 to resources, it's amazing. But the Lord took me to the scriptures, I was reading through the book of Kings, and, and I was just amazed. You know, if you read the book of Kings in the Old Testament, it's like the generation upon generation of kings of Israel, of Judah and Israel, and and sort of their stories, summarized stories. And you find that there are these certain kings that were loyal to God. If you have to, like, summarize these books or these, these passages, it's basically this. Those who were truly devoted to God, God blessed them mightily. He blessed nations. And then it comes down to, well, this one was devoted to God and he restored worship and he called the people to obey God and to live good lives in obedience to God. And the result was the nations were blessed. Then you have other kings who were horrible. You know, they they sacrificed their children. They did terrible. They were wicked, wicked guys. Now, I can just imagine, like, these kings would read the latest leadership books in Israel. They would apply these principles of leadership, of success, of achieving what they needed to achieve. But they weren't faithful to God. You know, the result was God fought against them. Now, that's scary. God actually fought, He brought these nations to their knees to show them that there is one greater than them. And they need to honor and humble themselves before Him. So I want to give us some context tonight concerning leadership, and we're going to obviously do the, in the life groups, the leadership curriculum, and, and it's one of the things we sometimes miss it, we think if we just apply the rules of the principles of leadership, then, you know, boom, I'm going to be a great leader, no, the greatest leadership principle, in a sense, is just, you know, God, <laughs> leadership begins with God, leadership begins in the throne room, all authority flows from the throne room of God, all legitimate authority flows from the throne throne room of God, and we need to lead from the throne room to earth. So I want to sort of call us into this. So, so we need to discover how do we lead. Because again, there are these principles about leadership, about success, about, you know, if you've got, like, if you've got momentum, then build up the momentum. But if you go read the, like the book of Mark, you know... Um, and you go to study Jesus, the greatest leader the world's ever seen. You see, he breaks the rules over and over again. You know, you're like, oh, 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 Jesus, what were you thinking? You're breaking John Maxwell's 21 laws of great leaders here. What are you doing? I mean, surely you should know to do better than... You know, why are you offending the Pharisees? Like, why are you chucking these tables over in the temple? Jesus, why are you confusing your followers so that they'll say, no, this guy's crazy. I'm going to walk away. I'm, I'm walking, you know? It was every time there was like incredible things happening and things were building up and Jesus would break the momentum down and actually lose disciples and cause people to walk away. Jesus, what, what is this? You know, so I want to, in a sense, tell or 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 in, You know, 90% of the time apply the leadership principles. 10% of the time just follow the Holy Spirit. We will call you to break the rules. Because God's ways are not our ways. Okay, this is very important because otherwise we can find ourselves trapped in the principles instead of actually just following the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want to share with you Jesus' leadership secret. His leadership secret which i believe is the cornerstone the cornerstone of great leadership one thing the cornerstone of great leadership any ideas come on love compassion <laughs> jesus <laughs> when you don't know fall back to default <laughs> anybody else humility peace all true all part of it you need to have peace you need to have humility you need jesus (laughs) servanthood yes absolutely we find jesus manifesting servanthood definitely agreed identity connected to that as well yes 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 all true (laughs) jesus Look at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. It's not what you think. Isaiah 11. It's an Old Testament prophecy that the Isaiah, the prophet, spoke. And he was giving, um, commenting. That the prophet was commenting about the future and about Jesus coming. And and how he would, in a sense, lead. And you see, God, for God is in eternity. So everything's now. So God now is the time that Jesus lived, for and, and so he can speak to the prophets in the Old Testament and have them th- write things down, but it's like a commentary on what's coming. This was such an eye-opener to me this week when I, I read this. So it says there, they shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch. Now that speaks about the Messiah. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Okay, so... I'm sure we would have thought about the spirit of the Lord as well. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. So this is like leadership qualities. Wisdom and understanding. Counsel and might. Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And I want to actually focus on the last bit there. And the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 3. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Jesus, He is the Son of God, He is God, and yet His delight is in the fear of the Lord. What is that? You see, when you, you have to evaluate who Jesus was and how He lived, and what I believe made Him a great, great leader, is He was only focused on what is on His Father's heart. He was like, Dad, what are you doing today? Jesus was not a people pleaser. He was a God pleaser. He was His Father. He just wanted to please His Father. His mission was, I want to please my Father and I want to fulfill the will of my Father. I'm here with a mission from Dad and I'm going to do it. Jesus was firstly a servant of His heavenly Father before He was a servant of people. He was first... Obedient to the living God before he would m- be moved by the whims of people. Jesus was a great leader. How could he? I often read the thing. How could he stand in the midst of such opposition? How could he stand in the midst of these Pharisees and the people saying, You, are, Jesus, you've got a demon? And accusing him over and over again of blasphemy and fighting against him, interrogating him. He was like, Not moved. Do you know what happens to us when people attack us or confront us or question us? We're like, okay, um, wow, 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 how must I do this now? You know? It says, because we are so moved by the opinions of man, we are so moved by if people will be happy with us or not, that we miss it. Jesus was not a people pleaser. He could have a massive crowd, he wouldn't be moved. He would offend the whole crowd and not be moved. <laughs> they would all leave. And he's like tell, speaking to his disciples, and you guys, are you also going to leave? Almost like, okay, go for it. You know, it's just, it was, but he was so secure. Because he had his delight. Say delight. His delight was the fear of the Lord. And I believe if you and I want to be not just good leaders, but a great leader. You cannot be a people pleaser. You cannot be a people pleaser. I mean, over the years, I have been... I've had a lot of fun <laughs> for following Jesus. You know, people attacking and, and, and uh, you know, just, uh, I had some, a lot of action. But I just knew, I'm going to follow Jesus, if you, even if you don't like me. If you don't like what I'm doing, I'm like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. So, where are you at? Because for Jesus, it was his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he says, He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So, Jesus didn't look with physical eyes and he didn't hear with his natural ears, he was in the spirit. I mean, when he decided, when he had to choose his 12 disciples, do you know what he did? He prayed right through the night. It says, the Bible says he prayed right through the night. So, let's say, an hour per disciple. Father, who are the 12, the super apostles you've called me to choose? Who are these incredible men that I should, should make my assistants, my, my mentees, that I can, I can trust to take this glorious mission forward? Who are they? And then Jesus went to the University of Jerusalem and he found out who are the most, the most brilliant minds in all of Israel. He was like, who's the best of the best, the most creative, the most, the guys who went one debating, the best communicators. You know, he, he, oh, he searched for the best of the best. True, he did not. Do you know what he did? He prayed for, say, 10, 12 hours. He heard from the Father, who are the 12 he must choose. And, you know, I was looking on a map yesterday. Nazareth, in the northern parts of Israel, where Jesus grew up, is like 20 to 30 kilometers from the Sea of Galilee. That's not even King Williamstown, people, from East London. It's just the other side of Genubi. So he from Nazareth goes to the Sea of Galilee and he finds Peter and he finds John and he says, guys, follow me. So he drove to Genubi and he was looking around and he saw a few fishermen there on the rocks and he said, you look like a... Yes, you, come. Let's go do this. Point being, anybody... Can be a great leader. Anybody, J- Jesus just had to choose who are the 12 out of that smallish community of nobodies from a nobody place. Jesus loves taking nobodies and transforming them into world changers. Well, speaking of you, you are more than what you think. When Jesus gets a hold of you, you're going to be transformed. But you need to start to believe, I am more than what I think and I'm more than my past. So Jesus chose his disciples. So how did Jesus live? I believe he lived for one thing, the audience of one. Father. Jesus was leading from the throne room. Jesus was focused on his dad. Jesus was living from there. And you and I need to make that shift as well. If we want to go where God has called us to be. All leadership begins in the throne room. That is where transformation happens. That is why many people, if you read their stories, they will tell you men and women of God who have changed this world, they were transformed or they were touched or they were changed after a season of fasting. They went to the throne room and got changed. Fasting is powerful. Fasting is powerful. So uh, Alexander the Great, he... uh, at this quote. He said, I'm not afraid of any, an army of lions led by a sheep, but I am afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. I love that. Because it comes down to, again, everything rises and falls on leadership. Great leaders bring the best out of their people. Great life group leaders bring the best out of their people. Great... Managers, leaders in the business world bring the best out of their people. They see potential. They don't see with the eyes of the flesh. They see with their heart and they say, you have potential. So I want to look at, over those like five weeks, six weeks, we're going to be looking at Peter, the the sort of, um, the apostle Peter's journey of development as a leader. Because Jesus took this quite of a sheepish type of guy. He messed up quite a bit. He transformed him into a lion. And I, so I wanna quickly want to take you through the four, five, sort of probably the four messages we're gonna, I'm still going to be doing. But I'm gonna, we're going to end off with a fifth one this today, a powerful leader. I want to look at the end of his leadership career today. But I just quickly want to highlight a few areas like uh, his journey. First of all, he was a nobody called by God, and he was turned into a world changer. Jesus came to him and said, follow me and I will make you. A fisher of men. I'm going to transform you. Just follow me. Okay? Then secondly, he was a man of courage, although he was often afraid. He was turned into a man of courage. He was someone that would push the limits, every opportunity he got. When they were battling to, to row on, uh, on the water, it was the middle of the night. Jesus came walking on the water. They all thought there was a ghost. They were all freaked out. And when, when Peter saw us, this is Jesus on the water, he said, Jesus. Tell me to come to you. Nobody else had the guts, but Peter was like, I want to do this. So he would push limits. He was this type of personality that were like, let's do it. He would stuff up so many times. But he was, in the end, he was a man, he became a man of courage. He, He was a man who grew in wisdom, although he spoke many foolish things, as you would remember. He would, when it comes to communication, he was like, um... He, he would like point, if he would like, uh, it was like a gun that you want to shoot. He was like, ready, fire, aim. You know, he's like, Shh. and I say the stupidest things. Like the one time, probably one of his biggest silly things he did was to rebuke God. How dumb can you be? No, Jesus, you, this will not be this. You will not be crucified. Jesus turned and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're, 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 you're. Being called by God himself, Satan-ish. But it was amazing, he grew in wisdom, although he made many mistakes, he received that rebuke. Maybe he was offended for a few days, but he got over it. What would happen to us today? Pastor comes, you get behind me, Satan. Well, I'm over this church, and I'm gone. Not that I would ever do that, but I mean, if it was a church. Peter didn't walk away from correction. Peter didn't walk away from correction. He received it, allowed it to form him. So one of the messages we're going to look at is feedback, the power of feedback. Someone has said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. It's true. Breakfast of champions, because we all have blind spots. And if we don't have an environment where people can speak into our lives, we will never become the leaders that we should become. I've been rebuked so many times. It's good. Can you take it? Can you take it? If you want to be a great leader, you need to take it, take it, take it. Then, G, then, then Peter as well, he, he failed often. So he was like on the night just before Jesus was crucified. Every, you know, Jesus said, you guys are all going to deny me. And Peter was like, everybody will deny you, Jesus, but not me. I'm going to stand with you. And then Jesus looked at him probably like, dude, you have no idea. You have no idea what is in you. You have no idea how weak you are. You have no idea how useless you are without me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then he did deny Christ. And he was broken. He became a broken man. He wept bitterly. He knew there is nothing good in me. Nothing. And then Jesus restored him. I mean, this was the man that was going to lead the greatest revival in the book of Acts. The church of Jesus Christ will be launched through this revival. And there was this leadership development process. And then then he became a powerful leader. So now I quickly want to look at the powerful leader part the part we like, but we forget. We forget the journey. We forget the journey. There's a journey, there's a process. We need to embrace the process. So let's look at this. Acts 9, 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria at peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Again, these components, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. New Testament people, New Testament We sometimes think the fear of the Lord is just Old Testament. you know how we often read the Bible? Big picture, Old Testament, angry God that kills people. New Testament, happy God that loves people. Isn't it? We sort of feel like, I don't understand the Old Testament. I don't know what to do with that, but Jesus, I like Jesus. He's like such a nice guy. So I can work with Jesus. Isn't it? And the truth is God... He's a good God and a loving God all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. He doesn't change. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. But if you, you need to actually go read the Old Testament. And you see these people became so wicked. They became so evil. And God had to, for the, for his love compelled him, but also his holiness compelled him to deal with their stuff. You see, God is good, but he is also holy. God is good, but He is also God. Amen? Creator of heaven and earth. He's not a little genie sitting in the corner waiting to do your bidding. Amen? Because sometimes it, our prayers become like this. To our little God, a little genie God. Hey, little Jesus, how about helping me out today? Bless me today, Lord. No, He's God. He's God. And so we often focus, I mean, in our church, we talk a lot about the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God, the love of God, and, and everything that goes with it. But just for now, I'm going to talk about the fear of the Lord. Say, Amen. Say, finally, someone's preaching the gospel. Yes. Hallelujah. So the result of Peter's leadership along with the other apostles and leaders, was that they were mightily multiplied. There was the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, these two components, and the churches were multiplied greatly. Now, leading from the throne room is when you and I understand that we need both of those components, comfort and the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? So, the fear of the Lord is mightily Powerfully revealed in Acts chapter five. This is the passage where most of us, if we have ever read it, we skip over and we say, "I don't know what to do with that." I don't know what to do with that. It's called Ananias and Sapphira. Welcome to Acts chapter five. Let me read it for us. It's, amazing. it's actually, it's actually, su- the Lord gave me such beautiful revelation about this. Okay, so what is happening is this, Peter was leading the church. Thousands were coming to Christ. Thousands were being added. This church was growing. 5,000 plus people, and uh, things were happening miracles, signs, and wonders. People were just flocking, and so the Holy Spirit was moving in a way that was challenging people to sell all their goods and to bring it to the apostles. Okay, now that's something the Holy Spirit did, no man can like command that or say, but that was like a unique revival's time. And then Ananias and Sapphira sold, for instance, their property, let's say for two million rand sold the property, but then they only brought one million, saying this is it all. One million is still not too bad, but there's a million missing. Okay, so now this is what happens. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias. So the Holy Spirit reveals to Peter, who's the leader of the group, there's something wrong in this man's heart. And he says, Ananias, why has Satan fooled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? What type of leader are you? (laughs) How dare you confront me? But he did. Peter grew from a, a sheep to a lion. Peter understood that this move of God has been handed to him to steward. And he feared God. He was like, God, I'm going to be faithful what you've put into my hands. So he confronts. And then he says, like, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? So he's saying, Ananias, you have control. You have control over how you live and what you do. And then he says there, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Hallelujah. I'm sure Peter had a skirk as well. Like, oh my word. I did not expect this. And so it says, so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. They must understand, this is God. Holy Spirit revealed this to Peter so that he would confront. And then this terrible thing happened. They died. Right there, on the spot, boom, dead. New Testament. (laughs) For everybody wondering about it. You know, we like to put God in a little box. He's just good. No, he's holy as well. And so we forget this sometimes. So I was asked the question, but why? What what is going on here? Why would God do this? You see, but Peter grew into becoming a great leader. He was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. He was a strong leader. He would confront. Part of leadership is sometimes to confront people. Good leaders confront bad behavior, even bad attitudes. And so that's what he did. But I believe this moment was a demonstration to everybody Of the fear of God. In other words, Ananias and Sapphira had wickedness in their hearts. You know, there was sin in their lives, and we know that sin always causes something to die. So God could obviously see into the future and say, "Well, this is how it's going to play out twenty years from now. They're going to die emotionally, spiritually, relationally." And I think what happened was, when the fear of the Lord came, it was like in a moment, everybody could see the consequences of sin. It was like speeded up, boom, they died. And it rocked them. The fear of God came upon everybody. Do you know, I I think this is why this happened. The church was getting cool. Not aircon cool. It was becoming cool. It was becoming the in thing, the happening thing in town. And everybody was just coming, and they wanted to be part of it, and they were so excited, the miracles were drawing people, and there were a whole bunch of people who were half-hearted, half-false converts. They weren't sold out for Jesus truly. They were false converts. So so the church became mixed. Even like in the Old Testament with the Israelites, when they came out of, of, with the Exodus out of Egypt, it It speaks about being a mixed multitude. And it was the mixed bunch, the not sold out for God bunch that was complaining the whole time and corrupting the rest and causing them to turn away from God. So I believe what was happening is God was looking at this saying, this church is going to be destroyed from the inside out because of the corruption." Because of the compromise, because of the half-heartedness, because of the the pew warmers in church. You know, if if, if the church is like a city on a hill, and there's a bright light shining to the whole world to see, what was happening is there were spots of darkness developing in the light. It was becoming corrupted, and God decided in His wisdom, I mean, if He can give life, He can take life. He can do whatever He wants to do. Who are we to say, you can't? You can do whatever, God can do whatever He wants to do. And he decided, for the sake of the move of God that must spread to the, to the rest of the earth, I must intervene. So look at this. Look at this. So it says, he fell down, breathed his last, and then we jump to the next part. Now, verses 11 to 14, 15, 16, is actually the most powerful season that this revival has, has seen. After the fear of the Lord came. Incredible results followed. I never picked this up. I never realized. I also read this like, whoa, that's awesome. But I didn't pick up the fear of the Lord. So it says there in verse 11, so great fear, say great fear, came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now you must think about this again. Now if you're like a leader of an organization of say this church, you want to grow your church. So any organizer, say you're the headmaster of a school, you want to create an environment so that people would send their children, wouldn't you? So let's say at your school, a few people die. What's going to happen? All the parents will storm to school and take their kids away. It's like, this is not conducive to success, (laughs) would you say? Same thing, I mean, so two people drop dead in church. Now imagine that would happen here. Goodness gracious. I'm sure people talk (laughs) in town. Do you know what happened there? They died. (laughs) This is not a recipe for success. But again, it just shows you God knows better. Obviously, no one's going to die. We're not planning on anybody dying. There's just a principle here about the fear of the Lord. That we need this. Now look at this. So it says, so great fear came upon all the church, verse 11 and verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Great miracles. They were all with one accord. So there was incredible unity. And then, this is powerful. I've, I've never picked this up. I've picked this up this week. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. I was always thinking, you're contradicting yourself there, Bible. <laughs> but it's not. It was saying, so the unbelievers didn't join anymore. The half-hearted ones didn't join anymore. The double-minded ones didn't join anymore. The, 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 I'm interested, I'm going to check out these miracles didn't happen anymore. I mean, Todd White shares the story. He says, in one of the meetings, there was a bunch of young people sitting at the back, and they were mocking what was happening in the meeting. They were mocking. And so the one big, like, big guy, like, bodybuilder guy, he got up and he told his friends, he's going to go, you know, mess around. Let's just to show you this is a bunch of rubbish. So he got up, and he walked forward. Halfway forward. He falls down to the ground shouting, I can't see, I can't see. God struck him blind. Todd prayed for me, got his sight back. So everybody is okay, is okay, is okay? It happened in the book of Acts as well. The apostle Pete, Paul, actually rebuked a sorcerer and said, you will be blind for three days until you learn to honor God as a sign. What is that? That's the fear of God. So there's a mocker coming forward, and then God says, I will have none of this in my presence. Fear of God. Okay, (laughs) not going to mock anymore. You see, God is good, but he's holy. God is good, but he's massive. He made you, he made me, he breathed life into our lungs. How can the pot, the clay, tell the potter, go jump? We can't. The fear of the Lord. This is so powerful. But I believe what happened there was, it says, none of the rest did. Every half-hearted false convert left the church. Every pew warmer was gone. And the real believers who had Jesus encounters, they came. Multitudes, they flocked to join. And it says, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. I mean, that's incredible. They've heard like Peter's shadow heals people, just put him in the shadow. So Peter, from this sheepish, foolish nobody, was transformed into this powerful leader, God carrier, the presence of God, and he was... Even his shadow would heal people. That's incredible. And it was because of the fear of God. Then it says in verse 16, Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All healed. I love that. No, not just one shoulder and one back and one knee. Everybody. The glory of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? To have God in the house like this. But then we need the fear of God. And the fear of God is not like, I'm terrified of God, I'm running away. The fear of God draws you to Him. It's like, I can't help myself. I'm drawn to Him. But I, I honor, I respect, I value I'm like, I'm not going to get away with anything. That's the fear of God. I'm not going to get away with anything. I mean, Ananias died for just lying. So, you know, I could just imagine after this happened, you know, husband comes home. and he says, his wife says, so honey, where were you? You're a little bit late. And he was like, no, I was at work. I was at work. And they realized, Ooh, no, no, no. I, I was with the boys out. We had a few beers and, uh. It's like, uh, we, we're going to, no lying, no lying. We're going to walk in the lights. But that is the fear of God. I know for myself, because God loves me, I will never get away with anything. Because He loves me. He loves me. So it's something the Lord did in me from a relatively young age, in since coming to Christ. I fear God. I can obviously grow in it more, but I fear God. If God speaks to me, how high must I jump, Jesus? Where do you want me to go, Lord? You are God, you lead, let's do this. How's your fear of God? How's your reverence for God? Is he God or is he the, you know, you're pursuing success and you have all your game plans ready and you realize, man, I need to add a little bit of Jesus as well because that's how you get some extra blessing. Is he a little add-on, or is he really the main deal? That's the question. That's the question. Otherwise, we half-hearted and not fully in there. So how can we facilitate the fear of the Lord? Let me ask you, it will quickly show us where we are at. You know, when Sonic and I were, we were in Rio de Janeiro last night, we were after these meetings, outdoor meetings. We came back to, to Rio de Janeiro. They were driving back around one o'clock that night. We got out of the car and we were hugging the pastor's apostle's past son and we are getting our bags and thingies. And I saw my corner of my eye, I saw a car stop. And the next moment, there was a gun in my face. Now, that's sort of a moment that I don't think you ever forget. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I was like, woohoo. And, uh, took our stuff, stole the car and all all our bags and things. But it does something to you when there's a gun to your face, when you evaluate. Well, who do I fear? Who do I really reverence? Do I fear the man with a gun or do I fear God? What if we would have 10 ISIS guys from the Middle East storm in here with automatic weapons, pointing a gun at each of us and saying, recant, deny Christ or I shoot you. What would, your, what would your response be? Would your response be, I see you, you little man with your little gun. And if you shoot me now, and I still have a plan to fulfill, a God's plan to fulfill, the gun's not going to work. That's option number one. Option number two is i'm going to heaven to my god i fear my god more than i fear a little man with a little gun i fear not death i fear god where are you at what would be the co- what would be what would be your response because that for me is connects to and the fear of god came upon the whole church every Every half hearted person left because I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm going to be gone. I'm I'm, I'm running away. And I believe that when the fear of God comes, it's like, you know, you are leading from the throne room. You're standing before God. You are aware of the presence of God. You're like, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people do. I only want to please my heavenly Father. And He's massive. He is huge. He is glorious. I mean... Just go read the scriptures. Every time just an angel appears to people in all of their glory, they would fall to the ground as if dead. That's just an angel. That is not God. You see, but we have reduced the glory of God to being like a nice, good, little, nice something. We've made the glory of God like us. And He's not. He's glorious and powerful and holy. And He says, you need this. You need the fear of God. We need the fear of God. The fear of God delivers us from stupidity. It truly does. It truly does. The love of God draws us to God passionately. The fear of God keeps us from doing stupid stuff. Amen. This is so powerful. I'm so excited about this. It says, God, bring, let the fear of God come back to the church. Because do you know what's happening? Across the Western church, it's a mixed church. It's a diluted church. It's a me and myself and I want to be happy. As long as it suits my comfortable focus, it's good. The church of Jesus Christ in the Western world is very much powerless. Because we lack the fear of God. Now if you want to be a great leader, which I know every one of us wants to be, you need the fear of God. You need to see him for who he really is, and it will wake you up, it will shake you, it will get you going in the right direction. So who do you fear most? Who do you fear most? Hallelujah? Huh? Come on. God wants to do this. So I want to encourage you. live for the audience of one. Live for the audience of one. When you close your eyes, just think, God. So I want to pray for us tonight that the Lord would set us free from the fear of man. Because this is one of my biggest challenges as well. I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? Who doesn't want to have people say, hey, you're wonderful? But I realize. And the Lord has spoken to me. He said to me, where I am going to lead you, you will need courage. And there will be people complaining along the way. That's how it works. But God wants us to step into that. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.